Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this message from May 16th, 2021, guest preacher Jordan Ayers teaches about what it looks like to have a grateful heart toward God. Pulling from Mark chapter 1 and Jesus' healing of a man with leprosy, Jordan outlines how gratitude should be the overwhelming condition of the heart and how it can change the way you look at God's Word and His work. For more information, check out compassefc.com. Here's Jordan. Um, my name is Jordan Ayers, and uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you guys yet, this is a little bit of an introduction of me. Um, our family, that's my wife, Macy. Sometimes I'm better known as Macy's husband, so if you, uh, if maybe you know me by that. Um, I could be Anderson's dad or Alton's dad or Adeline's dad. That's probably what I'm more famous for. But um, this is our family. We um, have been members here at Compass for almost 10 years now. And um, we actually moved to Columbia in 2011. Uh, We work on campus with college students, and we help lead college students to Christ and develop them into leaders that can be sent out all across the world to be leaders for Christ uh, wherever God calls them after college. So that's that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. If you want to talk about something that fires me up, that's the vision that really fires me up. And uh, we are excited about that. So Uh, That's what brought us here originally. So we only knew one person in Columbia when we moved here, and uh, his name is Larry Glabe, who's also a member here, for those of you guys that know him. Uh, And if you know, if any of you guys that know Larry, you know that's a really good person to know for the first person that you know in town. Um, But he's become a dear friend and a great mentor to me as well, and uh, we just enjoyed um, the past 10 years. Can't wait to see what God has in store for the next decade as well on campus. So um, that's a little bit of an introduction of us. Uh, I mentioned the kids a little bit. Anderson is our firstborn. He's in first grade right now, and uh, he's uh, cruising through his homework packets right now. We've been crushing those, so that's been good. He's our, uh, he's our leader uh, in the family in a lot of ways, and uh, oftentimes has plans for mom and dad as well, so that's good to know. And uh, Alton is the little guy there. It looks like he needs sunglasses in the picture. And uh, unfortunately, that was a cloudy day, so he's, I think, in trouble um, anytime he's on the beach or something. But he's our little redhead, so I never knew how much attention redheads got until I had one. And it is just shocking. I mean, I'm like, we'll be out in Walmart or something, you've got all these ladies coming up to him, like, hey, I love your hair. And he's like, thanks, you know. And like, hey, redheads are dying out. I had no idea that it was like a pandemic going on with redheads right now. Uh, but he, uh, he's kind of the celebrity while we're out and about, so that's kind of nice. And then Adeline is our little girl. She's now two. And uh, I'm learning all about princesses and all of that life, which has been really good for me. So uh, that's been really fun. Um, but it was funny uh, when Anderson was two, actually. Uh, he was riding in the car with Macy one time. And he, uh, he just kind of out of nowhere, he's like, hey, mom. And anytime something starts with, hey, mom, you're always kind of like, hey, this is going to be interesting, right? Uh, he's been reflecting on something, you know. And he goes, hey, mom, I just wanted to let you know, thanks for driving. And I'm like, as a two-year-old, that was hilarious, right? Because it's like she's driven him everywhere his entire life, still to this point. But at that point, he really, you know, recognized how much she'd helped him, and he mentioned that. Now, it's interesting, though, how that's kind of, uh, you know, a good highlight in a lot of ways, and sometimes we can act that way, and we can be grateful when we need to be grateful. It's also amazing how life has a way over time, if we're not cultivating uh, the opposite of this, Life has a way of corroding that thankfulness and that gratitude in our life. 
And uh, I'm also having conversations with our kids now about uh, why they need to wake up for school, right? And like how it's so hard in first grade and in preschool and all of those different things. It's amazing how quickly we can shift into that same type of mentality of lacking gratitude for the things that we've been gifted or the privileges that we have in our lives. And uh, that's actually going to be what we're talking about for a little bit today is what it looks like to have a grateful heart toward God. And right from the get-go, when we talk about that, that just sounds like such a nice, you know, like kind of almost optional, shallow kind of topic. Like, oh yeah, we just want to say thanks more often and all of that. But what I want to do today is try to look at it the way that the Bible talks about it, which is a drastically different picture than that, is this is an overwhelming uh, condition of the heart. And so I want to talk about what does it look like for us to have a grateful heart, because that really does change so much in a walk with God. For those of us in here that are following after Jesus, it's amazing how over time, if we're not cultivating this type of heart, the things that God calls us to can, can become burdensome at times, it feels like. Uh, they can become optional. We can desire other things that God clearly doesn't desire. But if we have a grateful heart toward God, those things begin to change. And we begin to see things as privileges. We begin to sacrifice joyfully. We begin to step into the unknown. And that's really what I want us to think about, especially as we're talking about this, as Pastor Craig's been going through, what is the Bible? And even that topic alone, having a grateful heart really changes the way that you view the words of God. And they really motivate, that heart will really motivate you to want to put those words into practice in your life as well. And so we're going to talk about a grateful heart and what that really truly looks like and why we should have it toward God. The way that we're going to do that is we're going to look at a passage in Mark 1, Um, So if you have your Bibles, you can flip those open. I'm going to have the verses on the screen as well. But Mark 1, verses 40 through 45, is a very well-known miracle of Jesus. Um, It's in here, in this uh, miracle, that he heals a man with leprosy. And that's the quick thing that you notice when you look at this passage. But one of the things I love about the Bible is there is always a quick thing that you can learn in anything that you read. But there's also oftentimes another lesson to be learned if we just dig beneath the surface a little bit further. And that's what I'm hoping that we can do today is that all of us in here, whether we are following after Jesus, whether we aren't, whether we've been doing that for several years, whether that's a very new decision that's been made, I really hope that today we are significantly challenged on a heart level in our view of God and our love for him and our gratitude for what he's done for us as well. And so we're going to get that here in Mark 1. So let's pick it up there in verse 40. It says this, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, See that you don't tell this to anyone, But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So as we look at this passage, there's a few things that I think we can take away as we look into what's happening here about a grateful heart. They're all going to start with S. We're going to look at three of them uh, this morning. And so the first one that we have here is the situation of a grateful heart. The situation of a grateful heart. 
There's a situation that all of us find ourselves in that is essential for us in order to have a grateful heart toward God. And that condition is the same condition we prayed about earlier, is the condition of our sinfulness and our sinful nature before a holy God and how there is this massive gap that exists between us and between God. And there's a lot that we can take away by that situation by looking at this man with leprosy because there's a physical thing going on in this miracle that's happening. There's also a spiritual dimension to what's going on in this interaction that this leper has with Jesus as well. So we can see right there at the beginning, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Again, clean physically there, but also clean spiritually, a new heart to begin following Jesus. But you see this man who has leprosy. So that's the first thing I wanted to kind of think about with us today is this man has leprosy. So for those of us that aren't familiar with leprosy, leprosy is a condition of the skin that would oftentimes kill. It was a fatal um, condition. And because of that, it was highly contagious. And so these people that had leprosy would be ostracized outside of the town so that no one else would be around them. No one else would get it. Um, They were highly feared. And it was seen as something, it was probably like next to death about the worst thing that could happen to you at the time, both socially and physically. And leprosy corrodes you from the outside in. So it's on the skin, but it starts to even deaden your senses to the point where you can't even feel oftentimes things that are significantly painful and hurting you. And so that was kind of the ironic thing about this disease is you couldn't even feel how bad of a condition you actually were in. Yet this man instead rightly understands the spot that he's in, both physically and spiritually, And it says here that he begged him on his knees. So one of the things that we can do when we go into the scriptures, we can look at the original language and we can look at what that word was in the original language and we can look at what the exact definition of that word is to give us a picture of what this is really talking about here. And so again, here in um, begged, the Greek word is goni pateo. And it says to fall on the knees the act of imploring aid and of expressing reverence and honor. I read this in scripture and I just go pretty fast. I'm like, okay, yeah, he begged him, that makes sense, and move on. But I just, it kind of struck me this time around, like I really have no idea what it actually means to beg. I mean, to be that desperate before Jesus and to beg him for something, to beg in general, that's a, a foreign idea to probably many of us in a lot of ways, but you can see this man pouring out his heart and he's begging Jesus. Now, this is a really interesting place for us to pause, I think, because sometimes I think we think it's the other way around, right? Sometimes I think we think God is begging us to follow him, which there's some truth there. He certainly has compassion for us and desires intensely a relationship with us. But we can think that God's kind of begging us or even that other people would beg us into that next step that he's calling us to take, whether it's to follow him or whether it's to Uh, spend time with him. You know, it can almost be this apologetic thing like, yeah, we should read our Bibles, but it's only going to take two minutes of your day. Just give him two minutes, would you? We should trust God with our finances. We should invest them and give them. At the same time, it can be pitched as, well, it's only 10%. Just give him 10%. Do whatever else you want with the 90%. And we can almost have this tone of, of begging people to follow Jesus in that sense, not in the compassionate good sense, obviously. But for us, it's good to consider it really should be the other way around, right? We should be begging Jesus 
to follow him. We should be begging Jesus for the privilege to live a life that honors and pleases him. When we recognize the situation and the condition that we're in, it should cause something inside of us, this gratitude that causes us to beg him and to say, Jesus, I want you and I want the life that you've called me to. Instead of seeing Jesus as an intruder, we now see him as the source of life. And that was a very real message for me and a very real condition of my heart when I actually went to college. This is a little bit of a backstory um, of who we are and how we got to this place and what we do now. This is a picture of us on our wedding day, actually, um, almost 10 years ago. And uh, this is a couple that has been highly influential. The most influential people, I would say, in Macy and I's lives um, are Joel and Jen Johnson, um, just some of our dearest friends. And Joel was a guy that I met my freshman year of college. Um, I actually went to Kansas State University. Uh, Both Macy and I did. We were from the Kansas City area on the Kansas side, so we stayed in state, went out to K-State. And I was a lot like anyone else at my high school. I was um, really consumed with trying to be successful in the classroom, in sports, uh, really seeking to be popular. That was kind of my main goal in a lot of ways. Now, all the while, at the same time, I had this respect for God. Um, But I'd never really given God any control of my life. I was not living in any type of way where anyone would know that I had any thoughts about God. And that's how I entered into college. So I entered into college. I joined a fraternity uh, when I was in college, and I joined it for all of the stereotypical reasons that people join fraternities for. And I was there, and I met Joel early on my first semester, my freshman year. He was friends with a lot of the guys in my fraternity, and he was helping them investigate their faith. And Joel, as I started to become friends with him, I started to notice that Joel was very different than any friend that I'd ever had up to that point. Joel was authentically following after Christ. He was really walking the walk and talking the talk, if you will. And I'd never really had a friend like that. And so I started to see this gap that existed between my life and between his. And that gap was actually something that was very appealing. That drew me in. That I wanted what he had. And I had to figure out what it was. And as we started reading the Bible together, I started to learn pretty quickly that although I'm a good guy by our world standards in a lot of ways, And all of us can convince ourselves that we're good no matter what it is in a lot of ways, right? I was in the same boat. Although I said that I was good, I recognized that before a holy God, I had a massive gap that existed there. And that gap is completely hopeless without Jesus and without putting my faith and my trust in him. And it was at the end of my first semester, my freshman year, when I gave God control of my life. And God did an amazing work in my heart and changed me from the inside out. I started to desire the things that he desires, and my life took a big 180, and the guys in the house could tell. Now, Joel, what's amazing about him is he just continued to walk with me from that point forward and discipled me to maturity in my faith and helped me become a leader who could then be in the fraternity for a totally different reason than why I joined, to help other guys come to know Christ and experience him the way that I had as well. And so that's really where a lot of those things started. And Macy was actually discipled by his wife all the way through college. So it wasn't quite an arranged marriage, but it was definitely helpful, right, to have the same mentors that were speaking into that. So that was nice. And, um, and that's really where this passion for the next generation and seeing leaders or laborers for Christ raised up from the campuses of the world and sent out all over the world, uh, that's really where that was birthed was when I started following Jesus and seeing my true condition before him. And, you know, it's interesting because here we are now um, 
I guess 12, 13 years after college, 10 years now here at Mizzou, uh, we kind of helped come uh, when we, I skipped the step, I guess. When we graduated college, we were invited to come on staff with Stumo, which is the organization that we work for and that Joel works for. And we joined forces with Joel and Jen to pay it forward, in a sense, for future college students to come to know Christ. And uh, we came on staff there at K State for a couple years, and then we moved out here to Mizzou with the team to launch Stumo here at Mizzou and to fill that need here on our campus as well. And it's amazing because a lot of people, I think, have lost hope for the next generation. You know, there's a lot of uh, new obstacles that exist to the next generation loving and serving Christ. At the same time, the same thing is true for them as it is for anyone over time, over the past, since the beginning of time, is that we still, if we see our true condition before God, it can be a very moving and alarming thing. And it can lead to a life transformation in following Christ. And there is countless college student after college student that are placing their trust in Christ and growing to become leaders that have been sent out into countries that don't have people that are following after Christ to uh, other campuses, to surrounding cities in Columbia and Kansas City, people who are truly authentically living for Christ and laboring for him in their workforce, in their neighborhoods, uh, godly marriages springing up. And again, it starts, though, at the same place it starts for every person, is recognizing our true condition before a holy God. That's the situation that we all find ourselves in. But it's easy for us to think that we're just in an okay spot in life, that we in some ways aren't in great need. But what if the reason we oftentimes think that is because we fabricated that in our minds, that that's not actually the reality? It's almost a lot like leprosy, right? Because leprosy, the longer it goes on, the less you recognize your need because your senses have dulled. The same thing can happen to us spiritually. It can be true of us as we think that we're just fine when really we're dulled to the sense that we are hopeless without Christ. You know, it's good for us to read tough passages like Romans 3. In verses 10 through 12, where it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And that's good for us to think before following Christ to help us recognize that. But this is a good thing to really be reminding ourselves of our true um, condition before Christ, even after we've been following Christ for a long time. So even for us in the room that have been following Jesus for a while, are we freshened to the fact of what Jesus has saved us from? And are we still identifying our need as we see that sin in our lives now? So that's the situation that we all find ourselves in, the situation of a grateful heart. Is It has to start there. We have to recognize who we actually are and who God actually is. If we don't understand our situation, we won't rightly understand who God is. That's an essential step. But the second one that we see then is the source of a grateful heart. So it's good to recognize where we are, but then what's the source? How do you have a heart like this? How do you have a heart that is truly, deeply grateful for Jesus? Well, it starts with going to the source, and we see that's what this leper does. He approaches Jesus, who is the source of gratitude, and he says this, what Jesus did next, is it filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cured. Now, what an amazing few sentences there. The response that Jesus has 
to this man. The first thing that I notice is that it says filled with compassion. Again, kind of like gratitude, it's easy for compassion to be this like nice feeling, right? This, oh yeah, I have compassion, I feel for that person. But what we're looking at here, especially in the Greek, is this. It's splaganitsemai is the Greek word there. And it's to be moved to one's bowels. So that's, that is how intense this word actually is. It's something that overcomes your bowels. There is a, I don't have a picture for us to demonstrate that, but to be overcome with compassion for other people, right? And that's what we see Jesus doing here is he has that kind of feeling toward this man who comes to him recognizing where he is at spiritually. Is he's overcome with emotion and you can see that by the way that he heals him. It says Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. Now there could have been a million different ways that Jesus healed him, Right? We see that in many other instances in scripture. Jesus heals people just by saying the word. But he intentionally chooses to heal this man by going the extra mile to communicate how much he loves this man. This man has not been touched since the day that he was discovered to find leprosy. So Jesus crosses over social, spiritual barriers to touch an unclean person and even the Uh, thought of getting it himself and he goes and he touches this man and heals him yes physically but also heals his heart and makes him clean to begin following him as well what an overwhelming picture of the grace and the mercy that Jesus has because that same grace and mercy is available to every single one of us and every single person that he has created But it really made me think this time around, if I were Jesus, would I have done the same thing? You know, it's easy to just read over that real quick, be like, oh yeah, that's great and all. If I was God, would I have done the same thing? If I saw man's condition and I saw how desperate all of us were apart from God, if I saw that, would I intervene and send my innocent son Jesus to die on the cross? Would I have done that? And to be frank with you, I don't know that I would. I think I would be overestimating myself if that was the case. The compassion of Jesus is overwhelming. And it should cause gratitude in our hearts and compassion for others. There's really no way to illustrate it in a worldly sense. And so the best way I can think of is to just look at another place in the Bible that illustrates this of Jesus. And I was thinking of the Good Samaritan, the parable in Luke right there in chapter 10. Because here we see something that I think should really challenge us, not only in our compassion for others, but in our view of God as well. So Luke 10, verse 29 is where we're going to pick it up. And it says this, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So there's this guy kind of questioning Jesus, trying to get out of some of the things he's calling him to. And he asked him, who's my neighbor then? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, as we look at this passage, again, there's a quick thing that I think should stick out to us. It's just how selfish we oftentimes can become in our need to reach out in compassion for others who are in need, right? That's a quick thing that we should definitely take away from this passage. There's also something else going on, and I wanted to kind of ask you guys to evaluate this for yourself, but which of the characters in this story do you most identify with? Do you tend to identify with the two religious leaders who are kind of like, you know, maybe holier than thou in a sense, and like, ah, there's a need there, but I don't, you know, I'm not going to really mess with that. I'm going to walk by on the other side. Or do you tend to maybe think of yourself as that sacrificial, other-centered um, Samaritan who's willing to go the extra mile to help this other person? Now, if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking about it, and you're like, well, I'm probably both different depending on which situation I'm in, Right. But there's also one thing that Jesus is trying to help us understand in this passage as well is that actually all of us in this story, one thing we definitely all have in common is that all of us are the dead guy on the side of the road. In this story, all of us, again, we go back to our situation, all of us are hopeless apart from God. And if it wasn't for Jesus, the good Samaritan who came into our lives and intervened and pointed us to true life in him, he died on the cross for us so that we could experience life with him forever. And he crossed all of the social barriers, all of the different, you know, spiritual barriers at hand and actually went to us and to our needs and helped us at great cost to himself, not only forgiving us, but imputing to those who are following Christ, his righteousness, his hundred percent perfection. That's the links that Jesus has gone for each and every single one of us. And it's up to us to respond to that grace and to that mercy. You see, it's amazing for us when we look at this to just be, this should, I think, awaken us in a lot of ways to who God actually is. And if you're anything like me, it's easy to lose sight of the source of true life and easy to lose sight of the mercy that Jesus demonstrates to me each and every single moment of my day. So let us not grow cold to that fact. Let us understand our situation and understand the source of a grateful heart because Jesus is the source and if we really recognize what he's done and what he's offered us then gratitude should just be overflowing at all times gratitude instead of seeing him as an intruder instead of being burdensome to follow him we would instead recognize that he is the source of us having true gratitude in life but then it leads us to that last question, which is, well, if I know that he's the source, then what, how do I know if I really am grateful for him, right? How do I know that it's not just me saying it, but how am I actually demonstrating that in my life? And so the last place that we're going to look is the sign of a grateful heart. Because I think the leper in this story demonstrates it in an unbelievable way. We can see it in the way that he responds here Jesus heals him, but then goes and commands him and says, hey, go, don't tell anyone about this, right? And this man says, you know what, that's great and all, Jesus, but I am so overwhelmed with gratitude for what you've done for me that it says here, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. If we look in the Greek at that word freely, we see a prefix we're familiar with, with poly. It means many, much, and large, 
So it wasn't like this man just went and he's like, well, I'll just tell my mom about it, right? Or I'll just go back to my family and tell them. No, this man went and he went many and large and he told everyone that he knew about what Jesus had done for him. You can see and you can sense in this passage the overwhelming gratitude that was in his heart. And when we are truly impacted at that level, it's only natural for us to be changed and to also share that with other people, right? Because I'm so grateful for my family, I talk about my family quite a bit. Because I am so grateful for what God's called us to do, I love to talk about it. And I love to talk about what God is, in fact, doing on campus. Gratitude has a way of making its way outward, not only in our words, but also in the way that we live. And so how do you know, then, if someone is truly grateful to God? Now, obviously, we couldn't tell it for someone else necessarily exactly. But I think there's some things that you would start to notice in a person. And the first one is this, that that person would probably say it a lot. That person would probably say how thankful and how grateful they are for God. Now, this could be in two different ways. For those of us that are in here that maybe haven't begun a relationship with Jesus, then that would be a good place to start is to say an ultimate thank you for what Jesus has done for you on the cross and to put your full faith and trust in him and live a new life following him that's directed by him with him in control. Now, for those of us that have made that decision and are following after Jesus, what does it look like for you to regularly regularly communicate to Jesus how grateful you are for him? Is this something that seasons your prayer life? Is this something that you're frequently talking about with Jesus is how thankful you are? Because if you're doing that, it changes how you think and how you live. That's one of the reasons for us, this is a picture of us and the kids in a little more uh, action-packed setting, but this is why for Macy and I, we are really big on our kids saying thank you. It's not just because we want them to be polite and have manners, right? But that is good. Uh, It's not because I want a big pat on my back every time I do something for them and I need that, right? The reason that we are all the time trying to help them understand that they need to be saying that is because especially at their age, almost everything is done for them, right? So they should be saying thank you all the time. That should just be something that comes because what I want them to recognize is how much others have done for them. To help them recognize that, wow, I am in a very privileged spot to have so many people who care about me and are doing these things for me. It changes the way that they live. It protects them from being entitled, from demanding more, right? And it helps them be humble and appreciative as well. And the same thing can happen for us if we are just to say our gratitude regularly to Jesus. It shapes how we live and it shapes how we view what he's encouraging us to do next. And it helps us to embrace that change. Which leads us to the second thing. So not only would you say it, but it's pretty easy to start there, right, and to say it. But the next thing I think you would see is you would show it. You would show it by the way that you live. You see, this is one of those that this phrase, I think, very much uh, says it well. It's easier said than done, right? It is easier to say that you're thankful for Jesus than it is to show it by the way that you live. And that could be all kinds of different ways, right? Um, It could be speaking in a way that glorifies God and builds others up. It could be living in sexual purity. Uh, It could be being patient and believing the best in people, having compassion for others like Jesus does for you. And it's not like you can just specialize on one of those, right? He calls us to all of those things and so many more. 
And am I living a life that is a good representation of who God actually is? A marred representation, of course, but still a sincere, grateful follower of Jesus that's seeking to serve him and represent him in the way that I live. Almost everyone says that they're thankful for God, but I think you would start to see it differently if you started to show it. And I think for us, we're at risk a little bit, at least in our modern culture that we're in, we find ourselves in right now, is that sometimes it's easy to almost overemphasize or the pendulum to swing too far. That sometimes I think we're so fearful of the feelings of bad feelings, so fearful of the feelings of like shame or regret or something, that we can almost bend our theology to fit that, to say, hey, well, we don't have to worry about that. It's, it's all because of Jesus. Which again, there's some truth in that statement. But at the same time, it's good for us to also recognize that some of that conviction for our sin should fuel a desire to live a changed life. We should be eagerly wanting to change and live a glorifying life to God because of what he's done for us on the cross. We can't just throw it out and say, oh yeah, well, it's no big deal. There's something to be learned there because if I really love Jesus and I'm really grateful for what he's done on the cross, I'll live a life that honors him and represents him as well. So we would say it, but we would also show it with our lives. And then the last one that we have today, I think, is you'd be able to tell because they would share it. We would share it with other people. You can see this with the leper so beautifully. Is he, he disobeys Jesus to share about him, right? I'm like, wow, that is, I mean, if there was ever a time that you didn't have to talk about Jesus, it would be when he commands you not to, right? But he still just overwhelmingly can't help but keep it in. It's like Jeremiah describes in chapter 20 that it's like a fire in his heart that he's weary of holding it in. Indeed, he cannot. He has to speak about it. And we see that in other instances when Jesus transforms a person's life. We see that with the woman at the well. The woman at the well in John 4, Jesus radically transforms her life right there in that moment. She goes and tells the entire city about who Jesus was. You see it with Legion, a man who was overcome by all of these different demons. Jesus goes, removes the demons on the spot. He is then dressed and in his right mind, it says. And then he goes and he wants to follow Jesus even more. And Jesus says, well, actually, I've got a plan for you. He sends him out and it says he goes to the ten cities and tells about Jesus. This is a natural response that comes from following Jesus and recognizing what he's done for us on the cross Another way of thinking about this is this, is that the gospel came to you on the way to someone else. It wasn't just something that was to end with you. If it really just ends with me and I can compartmentalize Jesus and just put him in this one little spot in my life, I've failed to recognize what he saved me from and what he saved me to. The gospel came to you on the way to someone else. What does it look like for you not only to represent Jesus to those around you in a way that honors him, But what would it look like for you to start having some conversations about Jesus with those that God's placed in your life? He's put you in the place that you live, the place that you work, the friends that you're around for a reason. What would it look like to, you don't have to be smooth, you just have to be sincere. Because I care about you, because this is the most important thing in my life, I'd love to share this hope with you and to have some of those conversations. When it comes to following Christ and being grateful for him, how are you doing at saying it to him, at showing it in your life? What is God asking you to maybe better glorify him in the ways that you live? 
And then who are the people that you're sharing him with as well out of gratitude for him? This is where we find ourselves, the situation of a grateful heart. If we recognize our sinfulness before God and then we realize the source of life is Jesus and that he's reached out and touched us and made us a new creation in him, then it should then lead to these signs. You can tell a tree by its fruit, as Jesus says, a sign of passion and wholeheartedness in following Jesus wherever he calls us, much like we see with the leper. Now, one of my favorite things about this story is how it ends. So let's pick up here back in the passage at the very end. What does Jesus have to say? As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, this is amazing to really start and stop and consider what Jesus is communicating here. Because what Jesus did here is, he's, here's this man who has leprosy. He's on the outside of town. He's rejected by everyone. He somehow finds his way into town just to find Jesus, begs at his feet. Jesus reaches out and makes him clean, both physically and spiritually. And then you start to see what actually takes place is it's described that Jesus actually traded places with the leper. Because here, this leper, instead of being outside the town, now he's going about freely inside the town telling everyone about Jesus. And it says that Jesus is removed to the outskirts. Jesus is the one now outside the town. And that great exchange, like 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, that God made him who had no sin for us to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That exchange that takes place should move us to the core. I can't think of something that should ignite my heart like seeing Jesus trade places like that. And he does that with every single person who's following him. He makes this unbelievable exchange. We could never deserve it. We are unworthy of it. It is amazing that he would ever offer that to us in the first place. So what about you? Where is your heart when it comes to God? Uh, If you're like me, probably all of us have somewhere in there where we're saying, man, I am not really viewing God the way that I should. I want to better represent him in a certain way because a grateful heart does wonders for a walk with God. We begin to desire the things that God desires. We protect ourselves from seeing them as burdens. We delight in sacrificing and in living for Jesus. Let us be a people who are deeply grateful for what he's done for us. And would it transform the way that we live as well? Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to spend some time here um, in your scriptures. Thanks for the deep privilege that it is to have them in the first place, to have them in our language, to um, be able to study them freely. Um, I pray that we would recognize the gift that that is and we would choose to follow you, to Um, Be wholehearted as we approach you. Um, Protect us from seeing you uh, in any way that is incorrect or um, is uh, cheap disservice to you. I know that Satan is out to attack us and to deceive us and to cause us to see you as someone holding out on us. But God, the exact opposite is true. Thank you for the life that you offer us. Thank you for the mercy that you've demonstrated to each one of us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. This sermon is part of the ministry of Compass Evangelical Free Church in Columbia, Missouri. 
We seek to be a church where Christ's love is at work transforming lives through the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. For more information, check out compassefc.com.